Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. No Will today. He's actually on assignment for his full-time job. Going to have Matt Hayes join me in a little bit to recap the SEC championship, dig into some playoff, Heisman stuff, all of that. And we have just a ton of things to, to get to today to sort of put a bow on the pre-bowl season that just had uh, another surprising twist with Alabama dominating in the fashion that it did on Saturday against Georgia. But before I do that, Crystal is your move to keep all your fans in your life fueled throughout the season. Pick up some original Crystal sackfuls, chili cheese pups, or their new crispier fries to feed everyone at your tailgate or viewing party this season. Download the app and make it easy to order today. Make game plan with Crystal because when you keep Crystal on your side this season, you could score the W. Playoff field is set. Recording this at uh, like 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. No real surprises here. Saw all the usual suspects. Canel, Emmanuel Acho. They tried to argue that Georgia isn't worthy of a playoff spot because it didn't win a conference title, which is just a comical thought. Regardless of how Saturday turned out, that was never going to be in doubt. The Dogs had already clinched their playoff berth by virtue of going 12-0 and being the last Power 5 unbeaten team, despite the fact that Saturday was a nightmare. I love that people try and pretend that all conferences are created equal when, again, as I always say, 11 of the last 15 titles won by the SEC would suggest that that is not the case. With the ACC missing out on this year's field, the SEC is also the only conference who has yet to miss a playoff. Think about just that. And this year, of course, the SEC, now with Alabama and Georgia getting in, has more teams in the field than the rest of the Power Five conferences combined. That's where we're at. So in case you somehow missed it, one seed Alabama, two seed Michigan, three Georgia, four Cincinnati, meaning we get Alabama, Cincinnati, and then Michigan and Georgia. Those games we're gonna dig into a, a ton, I promise, over the course of the next month here. Look, I get a ton of stuff wrong, including the SEC Championship, which I was very, very wrong on, and I promise I'll get to that in a second here. But I'm gonna take a little victory lap on predicting Cincinnati would make the playoff field back in May. Apologies to you if you're listening to this and I went back and liked a tweet or an Instagram comment in which you claimed I was high or I should be fired. Sometimes you got to enjoy the W's in this business. And look, I don't want to hear about Cincinnati against Baylor or Ohio State on an intral site and what that spread would be. And some people saying, oh, you know, they robbed Oklahoma State or something like that. When in reality, if you actually want to look at the 247 Sports Talent Composite, Oklahoma State doesn't even have as many four-star players on its roster as Cincinnati does. Cincinnati's going to have more early round NFL draft picks. So I don't necessarily want to hear that argument either. Some people act like we're being deprived of some great matchup by having a group of five team in there when it's like semifinal games have been decided by an average of 21 points 10 of 14 were decided by at least three scores and oklahoma and notre dame are 0 and 6 with a combined average margin of defeat of 19 points i am pre-mad at people acting like cincinnati stole a bid in the event that you know it loses to alabama by 21 when you've got an entire division in the sec who hasn't beat alabama in 11 years so let's not pretend like it was just some group of five thing. I'm not necessarily saying today that Cincinnati's going to beat Alabama or that they're even going to stay within two scores. But I just think that that's such a stupid thing and people are ready to pounce. They've got the tweets in drafts ready to go and it's going to be some weird confirmation bias when it's like, look, everybody knows the talent disparity, it's there. That's why Brian Kelly and Lincoln Riley have new jobs right now. Pretty simple. Bearcats, last FBS unbeaten team. Think about that. 
No other FBS unbeaten team left in the field with Georgia losing on Saturday. Cincinnati absolutely deserves to be there. They've got four guys who are going to go in the first three rounds. Jerome Ford left Bama to go become a star at Cincy. He was excellent against Houston on Saturday. Again, look, if you've got the tweets in the drafts, just don't even bother. Don't even bother. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. If you've got some great solution for who's going to give that, that, that semifinal matchup that we've all been waiting for, I'd love to hear it because we continue to see that the cream rises to the top in the college football playoff. Again, not going to dig in a ton with these matchups just yet, but um, I kept saying there was significant value in that one seed because the four seed was going to be at a very significant disadvantage this year in terms of the way that talent breaks down. I still haven't processed that Michigan-Georgia is actually happening because this feels like a preseason 2018 pick for the playoff. I found myself feeling happy for Jim Harbaugh because you could see what it meant to him in year seven to finally get over that hurdle. Dude has taken it on the chin from his critics. And you see that moment where reality kind of sets in and he gets both Gatorade coolers dumped on him. Took it like a champ, by the way. But I think that it's it's very different to watch Michigan be able to celebrate that and realizing what Georgia just watched slip away against Alabama. Very, very different perspectives because while I think Michigan is going to do everything it takes to win a title, I really think that everything from here moving forward is kind of gravy for them. Very different circumstances. But let's talk about Georgia and the brutal showing that it had on Saturday against Alabama. Don't lie to yourself and say that you saw the tide rolling like that. Because what we saw on Saturday went against logic on both sides. A lot of people were saying, oh, well, you know, this Georgia defense hadn't faced a soul and it was being glorified because of this case schedule when it's like, all right, you realize that being the best scoring defense through 12 games, being the best that we've seen through 12 games since 1986, doesn't just happen randomly doesn't just happen because your schedule is soft or something like that. And on the flip side, I watched Bama score combined 30 points in regulation in November games against LSU and Auburn, both of whom sitting on that six win mark right now. So to sit here and say that anyone expected it to turn into that type of game would be far-fetched. Look, even the most loyal, diehard Alabama fans might have said, cosmic forces, Alabama's gonna find a way, but that was something. Alabama did things that we hadn't seen this year if you want us to throw away the entire, the entire three months of data that we had, then fine. All right, you can continue to do that if you're going to do that to break down these games moving forward. But just know that you're not taking any sort of current context into that. That offensive line did what I thought was impossible. That is, have a get-right game against Georgia's front. Y'all realize that Bama didn't allow a single sack in that game? How the Tide ended up with the rushing advantage in that game? We're talking about like, yeah, we don't know if Brian Robinson's even going to play. How that happened is absurd to me. And it's also a testament to that offensive line, which clearly got tired of getting called out and being told about how bad they were. Pretty rough day for the Bill O'Brien is clueless crowd as well. Everything he did kept Georgia off balance. They ran some tempo. They got Jameson Williams, all the looks that he needed in space, over the top, whatever it was. And Bryce Young got those high percentage throws early. As great as Bryce Young had been throughout 2021, nobody would have said, oh, you, you know when, when the SEC championship record for total yards is going to be broken? Uh, I think it's going to happen against 
that Georgia defense. Nobody would have predicted that. But I saw a bust in the secondary and gassed Georgia defensive linemen that we really had not seen all year. And that was the biggest fear on the Georgia side. That was an atypical performance, to say the least. And Young was obviously a very, very big part of that. If you are not voting for him to win the Heisman or you think that it's just boring, you're just telling on yourself that you didn't watch him play. The kid is incredible, and he continues to amaze. That award is going to be his. I can't wait for voters to get exposed for voting early, which will just be the people who had C.J. Stroud as their Heisman winner. Get ready for that because that's going to happen. And not to take away anything from from Aiden Hutchinson or anything like that. He's been phenomenal in his own right. Will Anderson, of course, is going to get some votes as well. But you're telling on yourself if you if you weren't impressed with what Bryce Young did on Saturday. But the last thing Georgia wanted to see was reminders that this team hadn't played a 60-minute game since Labor Day weekend. And as my guy Lawrence Butts, he suggested this going into this one, we admittedly weren't really talking a ton about if Kirby's secondary could actually flip the script when it faced an elite passing passing game with a downfield attack. Because if you go back the last three seasons, you see it. 2019 LSU in the SEC Championship, 2020 Florida, 2020 Bama. I would have bet all the money in the world that we wouldn't have had the same exact final score as last year's Bama-Georgia game, but we did. 41-27. We were out here debating if Bama would become the first team to score more than 17 against Georgia. And don't you know what they had 24 in the second quarter alone? I tell you, I've never forgotten about a team's double-digit lead faster than that. Georgia was up 10 to nothing in that game, and that was an afterthought in a hurry. Bama had those five consecutive scoring drives, and that was all she wrote. You're going to hear it a lot, and you should. Saban deserves all the credit in the world for that. He said afterwards the rat poison was yummy. And I get it. Hey, how could you ever doubt Saban? What, what in the world are we doing here if we're predicting him to lose a football game? There's a reason Bama hasn't been an underdog since 2015 before Saturday. But Saban gave us the rat poison by holding on for dear life in so many of these games this year. Shout out to Gary Danielson, by the way, for not blaming Tank Bigsby for Alabama winning the SEC championship. Really thought that was big of Gary to move past that. Guess what? Saban hears the noise. His whole team hears the noise. Will Anderson talked about that too. I've got news for them though. Nobody is doubting them anymore. Nobody. I mean, we saw that upside and maybe it took Georgia to bring it out in them, but it suddenly feels like Bama is peaking at the perfect time. We are, however, doubting Georgia. We should, we really should. My belief that this is Georgia's year, that is, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't know if I can sit here today and say that Georgia Going to my head would be my pick to win a national championship. Need to kind of break down the way that this matchup looks against Michigan and, and, and how I feel about that moving forward. And if I actually see Kirby Smart be willing to make a change at quarterback, we'll get to that in a second. But th that was embarrassing on a few fronts. Kirby was always going to take so much crap if he lost to Saban for the fourth time. But the scary thing, and what I kind of realized after watching this game is that he's getting further away from those competitive games. Again, same score as last time. And both times, it, it wasn't a fluke, you know? This wasn't second and 26. It wasn't a fake punt on fourth and 11 with your backup quarterback. His team just got beat by a group who was far better at making adjustments. We also knew 
that the second Georgia lost, it was going to be about how dumb Kirby was for playing Stetson Bennett. And a few things could be true at the same time. Did Stetson Bennett play well in this football game? Not really. The pick six was a backbreaker, but he just couldn't stretch the field. Pete Golding did a great job dialing up pressure, and we got the side-by-side -side of him next to Bryce Young, which played a big part in people very early in that football game saying, JT Daniels needs to play. There were people calling for him in the second quarter. I thought Bomani Jones made the best point about this. He tweeted that Stetson wasn't the reason that Georgia fell behind, but once Georgia was behind, he was a big reason why they had no chance. I agree 100%. That's the problem right there. And of course, this is what many feared would play out in the postseason when you have very little wiggle room to make those adjustments. I don't think you can sit here and blame Stetson when Georgia's top two DBs are getting torched by Jameson Williams and the pass rush can't get to Bryce Young. That's not necessarily a Stetson thing. But if you're Kirby, you got a chance to see this play out again, and it didn't cost you your season, fortunately. That's the good news. The bad news is that we really don't have any idea how it would have looked with JT Daniels because he's only got 11 pass attempts against FBS competitions in September. The grass is always greener with a backup quarterback, of course. I don't think they win that game with JT out there, but I also don't think they would have been out of it so soon. And I also don't think that you can run it back with Stetson now after the way that played out. I thought Stetson could be like 2015 Jay Coker. The problem is that if this Georgia defense has more holes in it than we originally predicted, you need to be more than 2015 Jay Coker. And by the way, 2015 Jay Coker was still pretty darn good. Stetson Bennett is not on that level yet. If you're Kirby, you have to think of this as a lifeline. Stetson got you here, that's fine, but you can make a change. Bama did it in 2017 and won a national title. What you cannot do if you're Kirby is watch your team lose another game with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. You just can't. Because if you do, and it's the reason you don't win at all, you're gonna have nobody to blame but yourself. Shout out Chris Stapleton. That's the reality in a business like this, where we play the results. There was a twisted part of me that actually had this thought, um, and I wish Will could kind of push back on this because I know Will would let out a very, a very Will-like laugh the second he heard this. But when that game was virtually out of hand and Kirby decided that calling timeouts was apparently some sort of sin and he didn't necessarily want to go down that road, whatever, you do you. Is there any chance that Kirby decided not to put JT in because he didn't want his playoff matchup to get more of a read on him? I don't think Kirby necessarily operates like that. Again, I think it was the undying loyalty to Stetson. But I'll say maybe there's like a 5% chance of that possibility. Georgia has a legit quarterback controversy now. But for me, Smart needs to figure out ways to not have a repeat of the defensive performance that we saw on Saturday. That's the, the thing that he needs to spend so much time figuring out because if you can stretch the field like that, man, I don't care if Bama doesn't even have John Mechie moving forward, which Saban said afterwards on Saturday that they, they expect him to be out for the rest of the season, which is just a bummer for that kid who has really improved over the course of this season and is becoming one of those dudes, which I did not think that he was going to be able to get to that level. But if you're Georgia, you got to figure that out defensively and you can't run it back at quarterback because that just felt like more of the same in a big time game when 2021 was supposed to be different for this group. All right, a lot more stuff to get to with Matt Hayes. Let's talk to Matt.
Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is our good friend, Matt Hayes. Matt, I think I owe you an apology and you owe me an apology. I'm curious if you know what I'm getting at here. Do you have any guesses? No, but I love that's how we're starting this thing. It's pretty good. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I owe you an apology because of the Stetson Bennett thing. And I, I changed my stance on this. I did the 180 mid-season and I said, look, I think this Georgia team can indeed win a national championship with Stetson Bennett at quarterback. On Saturday, we saw uh, this team obviously has limitations when he's out there, not necessarily the sole reason they lost that football game, but I apologize because you were right about that. So that that's that, uh, that's something I'm willing to concede. But you, however, shot down the idea of Cincinnati making the playoff up until the very last possible day. I still am and now. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, so let's can we get can we get into that first before well, anything well, else? Let me here? say this. Let me say Look, this. You, you you have been on Cincinnati since day one, since July. So I'll give you that. Now, go ahead. Let's get into it. I will. <laughs> okay, so in, in an ideal world, we would see parity in college football. We would see these semifinal matchups that go down to the wire and these scenarios that everybody keeps throwing out. Danny Cannell is talking about a 12-team playoff and, oh, how great would this matchup be? How great would this matchup be? What we have yet to see is legit year-to-year competitive semifinal games. And so if you're talking about just saying, all right, we're, we're going to put the most deserving teams in the field, let's hope for the best. The formula cranked out Cincinnati. If you're going to present a problem, you got to provide the solution. So what then is your solution? Who would you have had in instead of Cincinnati? Well, I mean, my solution is, look, first off, there is no formula. That's number one, all right? It's 12 people in a room, Fair. and it's the eye test. And for them to say anything else, it's an absolute fabrication. I've gone through those mocks. I think you have too. The reality is at the end of the day, especially the last vote, it comes down to the eye test. Who do you think is one of the best four teams in the country? Except, except for this season. I truly believe this, Connor, okay? And I know you disagree with this. I truly believe that the idea of Cincinnati getting in was just this huge groundswell that began last year, moved into this year, and then the idea that, that social media – which drives everything in this country. And I'm not just talking about sports. I mean everything. It drives everything. And not even in this country, everywhere, okay? There's this idea that, oh, Cincinnati's got to be in. Of course they got to be in. They're unbeaten. Meanwhile, they're beating South Florida and ECU and UCF and Navy and Tulsa and Tulane and Notre Dame. Notre Dame on the road by 11. I'm going to get into Notre Dame, okay? Hang on a second. And then, they're get, and then we're going to hear the excuses of, it's not their fault that Indiana's not a good team this year. Well, Indiana is a horrible team this year. Horrible. The worst Easy, team, Matt. Indiana grad, come on. The let's, worst let's, team let's be the, nice. The worst team in the Big Ten in Cincinnati beat them by 14 and beat them in the fourth quarter by 14, okay? So we're going to take that resume and we're going to say, yeah, they're worthy of, of one of those four precious spots in the college football playoff, all right? So now I'm going to move to your Notre Dame argument, and this is the best part of all. This is the absolute best part of all. The playoff committee kept Notre Dame high because they're trying to justify where Cincinnati is. And at one point, the reality was these two teams that are, that are, in, that are high in the poll, their resumes aren't worthy. 
but the only reason their resumes are worthy is because their biggest games are each other. It was an unbelievable shell game. Because if you look at Notre Dame's resume, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. What in that Notre Dame resume that you look at do you say, okay, yeah, that's, that's playoff worthy. And Notre Dame was one spot away from being in the playoffs. What did they do this season that was playoff worthy? All right? Nothing. So then you say, okay, Cincinnati. What did they do that was playoff worthy? And the first thing you say is Notre Dame. They went in Notre Dame one by 11. Do you not see this little shell game here, Connor, or no? Okay, so I'm going to push back on that for, for a second here because I think we have this misconception about Notre Dame. And I'm not saying you have this misconception. I'm saying the general public has this misconception about Notre Dame that they don't necessarily face the same schedule that everybody else does in the Power Five because they don't have the conference championship, and that's part of it. And there's something to be said of how it could have played out if Notre Dame was just in the ACC and if they had just won an ACC championship, and that's their path. But look, what I come back to is are you still playing those Power 5 bowl teams? Those teams that are winning six games on a consistent basis and you're actually being proven on a, on a weekly basis. Now, I, I think that Notre Dame, by virtue of going 11-1 and by not having a, a totally soft schedule, props up Cincinnati. So you're right in that there's something to be said for that. But where I, I have this pushback is, all right, so then who's the other team? Because Oklahoma State ain't more talented top to bottom than Cincinnati. And you can't convince me of that when I've seen this Cincinnati team play. I watched that Oklahoma State team have nowhere to turn to when it got into to the goal line situations against Baylor. If you want to put Baylor ahead of Notre Dame, no problem with that. Baylor's got the quality wins. Baylor beat three teams that are in the current top 15. There's nothing wrong with saying that Baylor would have been a better fit for the college football playoff as a two-loss team than a one-loss Notre Dame team. But where I have this resistance is Cincinnati did everything you could have possibly wanted them to do. They went undefeated, and they had the style points down the stretch that we were asking them to get, and they had the style points in South Bend. So who then would your fourth team have been if you're in that room and you have to bang the drum for somebody? I'm going to tell you right now, you just dug yourself a hole, okay? And you're not going to be able to get out of it. Oh, no. Yes, you did. <laughs> All right? So you, you said to me that I've watched Oklahoma State, and I've watched Cincinnati, and Cincinnati's the better team, right? That's what you said, correct? I said they. I say I think Cincinnati has has as much talent. I think Cincinnati is more talent than than Oklahoma State, and I think the NFL draft numbers will also okay. reflect that. Don't don't make me have the producer play it back because we know what you what you said was you've seen them play and Cincinnati's better, right? Right? Yeah. Okay. You've seen Ohio State and Cincinnati play. Who's better? I mean, come on, you can come on. You can, you can do it. Come on, just say it. You can do it, Connor. Go ahead. Okay, that's Ohio perfectly State. fine. Yeah, Ohio. Okay, so hang Ohio on. State. Hang on. But okay, right, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm not done yet. All right. All right. So then you said that you know you got to look at what what Cincinnati did. Okay, you look at their resume. We will agree they played in a terrible conference. Right. They beat Notre Dame. They beat Indiana. So if you're looking at their resume, all right, and you're looking at that Indiana game again, the worst team in the Big Ten, beat them by 14 and beat them late in the fourth quarter. So let's just say we put Cincinnati in the Big Ten. What's Cincinnati's record in the Big Ten this year, you think? If you had to guess. Three and five? No, come on. Four and All right, four? let's not go there. That's, that's, that's the part where I – no, no, no. Four and four. No, no, no. I, they're, they're going better than four and four. They're not having the same record. If you think Cincinnati's Minnesota, come on. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, I, I, all I'm doing is what I see, that's all. 
I see I see a team that's a that's a last drive away from losing to Navy. I see a team that's a goal line stand away from losing to Tulsa. I'm watching. You want me to watch with my eyes? I'm so watching like when with Ohio my State. Eyes. Okay, so like when Ohio State's only up by a touchdown with three minutes left at home against Tulsa, when Oklahoma State is barely able to beat Tulsa by five points, like we don't get to bring that up as well? Sure you can. You 100% absolutely can. But you also got to bring up what Ohio State did in the rest of their schedule too against the Big Ten teams. You got you to you bring up what Ohio State did to Michigan State, right or no? I mean, you, you absolutely do. You also then have to bring up everything and say, I, I don't want it. We, we don't need to get too, too crazy no, into the weeds. Like we, we're going to agree to this. It never ends. The reality is, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest now. Seriously, I'm dead serious. Cincinnati's not one of the best four teams. But it's fine. They're in, and that's fine, okay? Because soon enough, we'll be in a 12-team playoff, and it won't matter anymore. But the, the reality that, that we're being sold that Cincinnati is one of the four best teams, it's, it's just not true. It's not reality. But that's fine. How would you have done, um, would you have kept one through three then the way that they, the selection committee had it with Alabama at one, Michigan at two, and Georgia at three? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I think it's fair just based on eye test because, again, like I said, the last vote is always eye test. But I think if you're going by, by resume, I mean, it's, you know, you could easily make, it, make an argument for Michigan. Although, you know, when you, when you do really look at, at Alabama's game, they, you know, that, that was a, a tough loss they had. Michigan had a tough loss at Michigan State. They both lost in the road, and they both won some games against ranked teams in the season. So, yeah, I mean, it's my point is you could probably make either one of them number one and be happy with it. The, the guess is, and whether they did it intentionally or not, they don't want Alabama and Georgia to play again in the semifinals. So you, you had to make Alabama one. And then, you know, you see what happens. I think we all know where this is headed. This is headed to Alabama and Georgia again. So that's it. Cincinnati kicks the crap out of Iowa on a neutral site. I want that on record. Iowa's bad. Iowa's so, so, so bad. And not to take away from Michigan, because I actually, in a weird way, found myself rooting for Harbaugh and watching him kind of like embrace that moment and seeing that team rally around him was was pretty cool. And I, I don't necessarily know that Michigan has the, the chops to win a national title. And the 247 Sports Talent Composite Rankings suggest that Michigan doesn't even have a chance to, to win a game, but we'll kind of wait and see on that. But... The way that this broke down is so fascinating. It actually gave us the most interesting scenario for talking about Alabama and Georgia. Saturday was stunning. Even though it was a repeat, it was still stunning to see that defense look that awful against an Alabama offense that, I mean, we're talking about how bad this offensive line is and all the issues we saw against LSU that we saw against Auburn. Alabama just doesn't have that step on the throat mentality. Buddy, that was that that was the type of game that you you realize why Nick Saban is where he is. What was the thing that stood out for you the most with Bama? Was it the offense showing up the way that it did, or was it the fact that the second quarter step on the throat mentality was there on both sides of the ball, not even necessarily just on offense? So, real quick, I want to go back to Michigan because I mean, how good would it have been? If you know Harbor's up in that stage and Kevin Warren gives him the trophy, and he just double birds everybody, takes the trophy and walks off. I mean, how good would that? Have been? <laughs> Seriously, that would have been phenomenal. Unfortunately, we didn't get that. Uh, as far as Alabama, Georgia, you know what? Honestly, too, Connor, is Alabama's at the point now where they're so good, and we see this every year with them. And unless they get something to motivate them, people questioning whether they're good or not, which is what Nick just absolutely loves. He lives for that. When people say Alabama's done or out, you know, the dynasty's over, 
you know, that gets them ready. If you look at that team, all right, the elite guys in that team all had something to prove, all of them. Bryce Young, first-time starter. Jamison Williams transferred from Ohio State. Um, uh, Brian Robinson had stayed there as a backup for three years. This was his time. Even on defense, Will Anderson was a guy nobody talked about last year. The rest of the guys were kind of just going through the motion. Josh Job kind of just going through the motion. He's been through it before. He's won championships before. Until finally it was, uh, you know what, you guys suck. And then all of a sudden when they heard they suck, wait a second, now it's time to ratchet it up a little bit. And that offensive line went from just being absolutely terrible against, against Auburn to locking down the best defense in college football. And it's, I'm telling you, man, yep. when they get motivated, Connor, when they get it in their heads, when Nick gets it in their heads that nobody thinks they can do X, Y, or Z, man, they come out and just get after it. And, I mean, Bryce Young was just – some of the throws he made. I mean, I thought the throw, uh, you know, a week ago, the Brooks in the corner, the, the touchdown throw, the 30-yarder, literally if he, like, yep. walked up to him and placed it in his hands, he couldn't have made a better throw. And, and he just kept doing it in this game. He's a, just a phenomenal player. Phenomenal player. It's amazing to think that Bryce Young is going to become the first Alabama quarterback to win the Heisman, considering the, what the, the standard is at that position there. And it's also ironic considering that everybody and their mother was throwing Bill O'Brien under the bus coming into this. And all he does is come up with the game of his life in terms of calling plays and giving the stakes I was just so impressed with the game plan from start to finish from him. But the, the Bryce Young-Heisman narrative that a lot of people were saying, ah, you know, it's a bit manufactured. I really <laughs> hope that people took the chance to watch what he did because the kid just continues to get better and better. And we're going to talk so much about him, and there might be people that already have Bryce Young fatigue. But I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that he's doing things that – even at that position, even with what we've seen from Mac and Tua that we haven't quite seen at Alabama, and it feels weird to say that. Yeah, he's a uh, – I, I mean, I, I, I saw somebody tweet yesterday about, you know, you know Bryce Young's Heisman moment wasn't Auburn. It was, it was this game. That Auburn game, if you want to talk about a Heisman moment, 90, what, 95 yards in a minute and something. And 97, yeah. The, the fourth down conversion, um, the fourth and long conversion, oh, by the way, uh, a couple third-down conversions, the throw, the touchdown throw, the perfect throw on the two-point score, whatever you want to call that, the Mechie. I mean, he you know, he played three-quarters of that game without his best receiver. And I, I just – I watched him in that game, and I thought, man, this kid, the real deal. And, and back to Bill O'Brien, I thought he was terrific all season. But he also was dealing with an offensive line that was bored. You know, every once in a while they play, every once in a while they wouldn't. You know, and then when you get zeroed in and you really see what's important for them, then you see how well it clicks. It's, I'm telling you, man, they're, they're going to be motivated in the semis because everybody's going to be saying Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati. And then when Georgia comes around in the final, it's going to be more motivation again. They, the worst thing that could have happened for college football is for, is for everybody to wake up Alabama by saying Alabama's going to be out when they lose. And that's, you know, it's, Nick loves that, man. Just absolutely eats it up. At the same time, though, we had a right to say that. It, sure. it wasn't like we're, sure. we're, nit, we're nitpicking Alabama for, oh, Alabama only won this game by 21, they only won this game by 28. It, it wasn't there. And even I went back and I looked up the, the number for 2017, a group that I felt played down to its competition a lot. And they were in three one-score games in the fourth quarter in SEC play compared to six 
for this year's group. And, and I kind of look at that stat and I'm like, well, they're, they're playing with fire. And given what I've seen from Georgia and from that defensive line, there is no way that I thought Georgia's defensive line would look as defeated as it did by night's end. And to me, all of a sudden, you're questioning the strength of this team for Georgia. And everything kind of starts up front. You talk about Bill O'Brien and, and trying to call plays, even though his offensive line isn't on that level. And defensively, how do you call plays when your defensive line that had been able to get home all year with three, four guys all of a sudden can't get home? You see this secondary get exposed. You see Jameson Williams get the ball in space. Mechie was excellent before he went down. And you see these moments in which you're like, oh boy. When Georgia doesn't get pressure, it is ugly. And it felt like more of the same watching that. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying that all year, man. All year we've all been saying, look, they don't cover well on the back end. But nobody could block them well enough to put them in a position to be stressed. It's the same thing with Stetson Bennett. We never saw him as a quarterback chasing points in the second half. So we had no idea what he was going to be like. But all you got to do is watch him play. You just watch him play and you know, look, he doesn't have an arm that's going to make throws on a third and nine. You've got to make a throw on time, and you've got to make it with velocity. He's not that guy, all right? Look at two of his touchdown passes yesterday. It was a jump ball to Washington, who, who had who toe-to-toe had, uh, -to -toe way out, out maneuvered, and it was a slip screen to McConkie. He's not a guy that's going to make throws that when it's third and nine, you need a throw. He's not that guy, and especially if you can't block up front. So that, that I think, is, is the issue that at some point Kirby's going to have to embrace. And I don't know if he's going to embrace it. And I know I'm kind of going off, uh, you know, off topic here, but I know this is probably where we're headed eventually anyway, Connor. But, but at some point, I mean, we, you know, the, the argument has to be what in the hell is Kirby doing at the quarterback spot? Not just this year, but now every single year. It's just bizarre how this is playing out. If you look at it in a nutshell, you would say, how in the world is it at this point where Georgia is – Suddenly, with Stetson Bennett at quarterback, they're relying on Lad McConkey, a non-top 1,000 receiver, to make big-time plays. And, oh, by the way, the only guy that can, that's really showing you offensively that he can step up and, and be a stud is a true freshman tight end. And Brock Bowers was magnificent. I mean, uh, that guy unreal. just continues to ascend. I mean, just an unreal player who is showing signs of being one of the all-time greats at the position in this sport. He's like so trash. I look at those things. He's, I'm like, he's, not, he's not there yet, but he's close to trash, man. Yeah, or uh, you're talking about Pitts, right? I'm sorry, Pitts. Yeah, not trash, Pitts. I got the Kyle's. <laughs> the, the connection. I knew I knew exactly where you were going. Right. But yeah, right. that's that's the not thing. Not as athletic, but man, you're, you're, you're looking the impact on the game, yeah. Yeah, no question. But it's it's so weird, and I know the Pickens injury happened. I know they've been really banged up, and they they've kind of been waiting on Kyrus Jackson all year. But like you're still kind of looking around, and you're like, Jermaine Burton's not out there making big time plays. Why is Darnell Washington only able to make plays in that spot with all this five star talent at skill positions? How is it that we look around and that's the situation that Georgia's in? And so the question that everybody needs to ask moving forward is, what does Kirby do to change that? Kirby needs to make those adjustments. He called it a wake-up call. I don't know. That, that should have been a personal wake-up call to see the way that this played out because it's not necessarily that, that, that Stetson was bad for you and that he was a fraud during the regular season necessarily. He got you to this point. But now you're faced with the issue of turning to JT Daniels and knowing that, look, at least if you put out JT Daniels and you lose, the criticism is going to be far, far less than if you continue to roll out Stetson Bennett. 
Are you expecting JT Daniels to start in that game against Michigan? Or are you still of the impression that, that, that Stetson's going to be the guy and maybe he gets pulled in the second half or something? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think Kirby's going to do what he's done all along. I mean, think about it, Connor. If Who did they play? Charleston Southern was the one cap, cupcake game they played in November. Is that right? Is it Charleston Southern? Whoever they played? Yep. What was that game? Yep. Yeah. Well, Georgia Tech how, as well, does, but yeah. Right, but how does JT Daniels not play three quarters in that game? How does JT Daniels not play two quarters Agreed. against Georgia Tech? How does he not get the kid on the field and let him throw the ball? That, to me, is just – I mean, that's almost malpractice. That's coaching malpractice. Because you've got a guy with that talent, and you don't put him on the field because you're worried about the guy who doesn't have nearly the same amount of talent. You're worried about messing with his head, him worried about somebody behind him. You're trying to win a championship, man. You haven't won a championship in 41 years. You're, you should be doing everything possible that you can do to win a title. And here's another thing. The Alabama defense you know, that made it miserable for Stetson Bennett, Michigan's defense is just as good. They're going to make it miserable for him too. So, I, I mean, my whole point is, look, at what point do you shelve the idea of, I don't want, I'm worried about the psyche of Stetson Bennett? Or, or this whole this is this is another thing too that just makes me crazy, Connor. He gives us something in the run game, Stetson Bennett. You got to be out of your mind. The game is a downfield passing game right now. Okay, if you can get somebody that can scramble and give you extra yards, that's gravy. It's a downfield passing game right now. So the idea that Stetson Bennett gives you something extra because he can run, which he can. There's no doubt about that. He can get you 10, 15 yards if you have to. But at some point, a defense will adjust. At some point, they'll pinch off the edge, which is what Alabama did in the second half, and they got nothing. He couldn't do anything in the run game. So then what do you do? Then you've got to have a guy who can step back, go through progressions, and make the right read, throw the ball, get it there on time, and get it there with anticipation. And Stetson can't do that. So I don't know what he's doing, honestly. I literally do not know what he's doing. Is there any possibility, and I threw this out earlier, but is there any possibility that Kirby has known that this was going to be in his back pocket throughout the last month, basically since JT Daniels has been cleared to play. That maybe Kirby decided, I don't want teams down the stretch getting a book on JT. Because <laughs> if he has overthought it to that point, I, and, and I can't rule anything out. We can't rule anything out at this point. If he has overthought it to that point, That's how a hell of a conspiracy. that would be. That is a hell of a conspiracy right there, boy. So you're, are, you, are you saying like he intentionally lost the SEC championship game because he knew he was going to still be in the playoff? No, 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 no. I'm saying with JT Daniels and not getting those snaps, not getting those key snaps. Again, it's, it's 11 pass attempts against FBS competition since September. There is maybe, maybe this thing where Kirby's like, hey, if I have this ace in the hole, and I know I have it there, right. and I can unleash it at the, at the right time, and almost like a six-man in basketball type of thing, where it's, it's just a microwave. This guy is just a heat check. And I'm not saying JT Daniels is definitely going to be that. I'm not even saying that this is what Kirby did. But is there like a teeny, teeny, small part of you that wonders, is this Kirby's mindset? Because how wild would that be if that were the case? I'm, no, there's 100% of me that believes this is, the same, <laughs> this is the same guy who had Justin Fields on his bench and wouldn't, wouldn't make the offense work with him. The guy leaves, and the next year he throws 40 touchdown passes in one pick. I mean, are you crazy? This is the same guy who got infatuated with Jake Fromm because he led him to the national championship game as a freshman when Kirby had a great team 
and just about any other quarterback could have led him to the national championship. A guy like Stetson Bennett could have. Who knows who, who could have? Any, any, you know, anyone close to that talent level could have done that. And instead, he didn't find a way to get Justin Fields involved in the offense. A guy who was literally a game-changing talent, a once in a 20, 30-year talent. So no, I don't think <laughs> I don't think there's any kind of, you know, you know, Kirby knows he has the ace in the hole. Well, he's got an ace in the hole, then why is he playing the jack? Right? That's the question. You got an ace in the hole. What are you doing playing the jack? Play the ace. <laughs> and now, of course, if JT Daniels fails in a weird way, all the pressure's off him because people would just blame Kirby. And people would say, this is what happens when you don't give this guy reps. And if he's not on the same page as his receivers, like if JT throws the pick that Stetson threw yesterday, where it, it was just, it was a misread and Job just read it perfectly and boom, pick six right there. If JT does that stuff, the blame comes back to Kirby. And it's, how did you not get this guy out there sooner? How did you not allow him to develop this rapport that was needed to be in this spot now where this, these are your options? I think this thing is, is just so fascinating. Connor, I don't there, know how this plays out. If there's, There should have been two pick sixes. Yep, go ahead. Okay? There, sh- there, could have been two, there yeah. should have been two pick sixes, which just makes my head hurt even thinking about it. You know? I, I don't – I mean, they might have been better off if that first series was, was a pick six. They actually might have been better off because that might have shaken Stetson a little bit. He might have struggled again in the second series. Then they'd be down 14 nothing, And then at that point, Kirby says, okay, screw it. we got to get JT in there. Maybe it would have been a different game. But instead, the ball was dropped, and they're up 10 nothing, And, you know, Kirby's thinking, look at me. Look at our offense. We know what's going on. And then, you know, the rampage comes. It's, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's the, it's the most bizarre thing that I've ever seen, that Kirby has an absolute 100% blind spot when it comes to quarterbacks. And I think, it, I think part of it has to do with the fact that he was with Nick when they won those championships early, they did it with a great defense, a great run game, and a caretaker quarterback. And I think that's what he thinks is the best way to do it. And, I mean, I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. But it's going to be fun to watch in that semifinal when Stetson Bennett goes out there because that Michigan defense is good, man. They can get after you off the edge. Uh, they can cover in the secondary. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. No doubt about that. Stetson Bennett become the first player ever to get booed the second he steps on the field in a semifinal game. Is that is that possible? And and he would be Stetson. It'd be more of like Kirby. Kirby gets booed. I, I'm open to to that possibility as well. And the just if we're if we're gonna get that, I want the camera crew to be ready, and I want them to zoom in on the Georgia fans because knowing Kirby, he's gonna try and play this like a 2015 Ohio State situation where Cardell and JT are both in the huddle, and then Urban just says, "Hey, Cardell, you've got first snaps," and we don't even know until just then. If Kirby is still in that mindset going into this one, how funny that would be to play out. I, I I'll, I'll wait and see, kind of on on whether or not Georgia fans are, are able to kind of calm down, take a breath, and, and just hope that that was the, the outlier type game. But do you have a, an, early, an early pick for, for the national championship? Because I know you said before, it feels like we're heading towards a, a repeat of the 27 title game with Alabama and Georgia. I, mean, I, I, I want to say Alabama-Georgia, but I mean, at this point, you know, the more you really start to look at Stetson Bennett, and, and you know, I can easily see Michigan winning that game. And let me tell you something. If Stetson Bennett starts that game and Michigan wins that game and Stetson struggles again, Kirby is just, I mean, he will hear about that, I mean, forever. Forever. So, I mean, it's, he's in a situation right now where he's doubling down. This is his guy. He knows it's his guy. He feels like this is the guy he can win with. 
I'm telling you right now, I know those guys. They're in those meetings right now, and they're thinking, if we had just played better on defense, we'd been fine. And th- their concern is defense. How do, we, how do we change in defense? How do we shore it up? How do we find a way to get a better pass rush against Alabama, against Michigan? I don't think they think it's Stetson Bennett. I really don't. Connor, I honestly don't think that. When at the end of the day, if you've got consistency and efficiency at that position, at the most important position on the field, you help your defense. That helps your defense because you're extending drives, you're scoring points, you're putting pressure on the other team to score points and not make mistakes. And I just, it's, it's weird. It's just weird. It's so weird to me, Connor, that any coach at any level of football will tell you the quarterback is the most important position on the field. And if you don't get it right, you're going to lose. And they have a game-changing defense, a, a, a rare defense. They had a rare defense last year. And he's playing Stetson Bennett. Well, we don't know why he did that last year. The whole thing of, well, JT wasn't healthy. Well, meanwhile, JT gets in, and after the Mississippi State game, he says, I've been healthy. I've been healthy. It was coach's decision. It's just bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre how he has this crazy blind spot for quarterbacks, and I don't know why. And non-Georgia um, playoff-related things, your Heisman ballot, I'm, I'm interested. You don't have to reveal it exactly. I know you know a lot of people like to keep that private. You got to keep it private until the votes come out, blah, blah, blah. And then people say, oh, this is how I filled it out, one through three. We know Bryce Young is winning the award. Do you want to give us a lean on how you think two, three looks? Because I think that's actually more interesting with the way that this past weekend played out. Well, I think I think Aiden Hutchinson's probably going to finish second or third. And it's, 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 it's odd to me because, but again, this is, you know, we talked about social media and this social media rules everything. And, you know, he, he's this guy on social media now that caught fire. He's, he's a very good player. Could be the first player picked in the draft next year. A very, very good player. Um, he's got, what, 13 and a half sacks. 13 and a half sacks, and he's got like 17 tackles for loss. I mean, meanwhile, you got Will Anderson, who's got 15 and a half sacks and 32 tackles for loss. It's not even close. You want to start comparing those two. It's, it's ridiculous. Will Anderson should be, you know, should not only get first place votes for the Heisman, but should get second and thirds as well. My guess would be it'll be Hutchinson probably second or, or third and, and C.J. Stroud second or third. Yeah, C.J. Stroud's kind of the forgotten guy because I think Stroud gets there and I think probably Kenny Pickett also gets there. So yeah, that I'd like would to be your I'd five like to if they Walker, invite five. Honestly, I'd love to see Walker, but he just, I mean, you know, that, that loss to Ohio State killed them. You know, you have six carries. What do you have, six carries or seven carries in that game? Forget about that. It's over yeah. at that point. Which is too bad because I, his story is so unique. It's so cool to see. And it's a kind of a testament to the transfer portal of, of what it, what can happen if done right. And there are going to be a lot of people selling the Kenneth Walker story moving forward in the way that Mel Tucker was just like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll find a home for you. We'll build the offense around you. We'll make this thing work. And, and boom, he takes off just like that. But, yeah, I uh, I hope they invite five. They better invite five. Why do, Clear this up for me. Why do they ever not invite five besides just like, look, I don't care about the voting. I, I don't care. Invite five kids every single year and and don't necessarily worry about, oh, this kid might get there and think he's going to win. I think that's the dumbest thing I that agree. they do. They should have an automatic five people that get to experience that in New York because I keep thinking about what it would look like for somebody like Jordan Davis, who I don't think is going to get there, but how much that kid would soak it in. Will Anderson, I'm sure, is going to yeah. soak it in. Aiden Hutchinson, these guys who didn't necessarily get Heisman talk coming into this year or anything like that, but... They should invite. They should invite five on a yearly basis, in my opinion. By the way, has anybody seen Jordan Davis recently? That's all I want to know. 
Anybody seen him? He's on the sideline, man. Ooh, that yeah. was they kept showing him on the sideline. Side of a milk cart. Golly. Baby. I, I mean, like he, nowhere to uh, be found. Nowhere to be found. Where was he? That that also was a strange, strange deal. But that's but not only him. I mean, we say him, it's not just him. The Kobe Dean didn't play well, Nolan Smith didn't play well. They just they didn't play well. Um as far as your five, I completely agree with you. Hundred percent. I think the more the more these young guys get to experience stuff like that, some of these guys have never been to New York. Some of these guys have no idea what this is all about. I mean, I mean, what a great way to celebrate like a great season. A guy, a guy like Jordan Davis, um, you know, a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, whoever you want, Kate, uh, Pickett, whoever. Just it, it's a great way to not only say, hey, you had a great season, but look, look, this is what this is what college football is all about. This is what's different from the NFL. It's, I mean, it's the Greatest individual sport, individual award in all of sports. I don't care what sport, what level. There's nothing greater than the Heisman, and, it, and it's just a, it's a unique experience that more need to, need to experience. Last last thing, and I know you, we got to get you out the door here, but um, as as of this recording, it's looking like Mario Cristobal to Miami is is going to happen. Mega deal for him to leave Oregon, come to the Sunshine Sunshine State, albeit in a little bit of a different fashion than Willie Tiger did. What are, what are your thoughts on, on just kind of seeing somebody of that stature come back to Miami, a, a program that you, you know well and you've seen kind of uh, go through this, this odd transformation in the last 20 years. But what, what are your kind of your thoughts on that and how that can change the, the power dynamic in the ACC? Well, think about that. It's been two decades, Connor, since Miami was relevant in college football. Two decades. And if you look, it's the coach. You, you, you can't ignore what happened. Butch got it back on his feet got them ready to win a national championship, left for the NFL, gave it to Coker, who literally all he had to do was put the key in and turn the engine on, you win a national championship. Then they lost the second time on a, on a phantom call in the end zone against Ohio State, and then the decline begins. And then you hire Randy Shannon, then you hire Al Golden, and then you hire Mark Rick, who wasn't really in, into it uh, that, that long. He eventually got out because he was done coaching. He's, you know, his life is more than coaching. Then you hire Manny Diaz, which was uh, – Manny's a good dude, but, my God, what a bad hire that was. What a panicked bad hire that was. And now I think you've got a guy who not only has learned under the safety system, but a guy that has proven at, at, at Oregon. He won back-to-back Pac-12 titles before this year when they got blown out twice by, by Utah. But he's proven he can recruit. He got Kayvon Thibodeau out of, out of L.A. He was the number one recruit in the country, got him to Oregon. So he's, he knows how to get players. He knows how to recruit. You're going to send him down there into Miami where it's Dave Broward and Palm Beach. You're going to say recruit the state of Miami. And it's, it's, it's going to change the dynamic of not only recruiting in the state of Florida with both he and Billy Napier of Florida and even uh, Mike Novell at Florida State, but you're going to start seeing less and less the idea of Alabama going into Florida and getting players or George going into Florida and getting players or Clemson of Ohio State. You've got three guys that can really recruit now in the state of Florida. And for Miami, I think as big a deal as getting Mario – Connor is there apparently is a billionaire alum who wants to build a 50,000 seat campus stadium in Coral Gables. Crazy. We're, we're at the side of where Coral Gables high school is. They're going to move Coral Gables high school and build the stadium there, which really has been the most, the, the biggest deterrent for Miami as far as recruiting has been the fact that your stadium where you play is 45 minutes away. Um, if they get that done. If you get a, a, that billionaire alum gets that done, builds that stadium Boy, Mario can really, really do some damage there. Mario, uh, I, I think he might have violated the the rules of the alliance, though. 
if if you know if this is coming together <laughs> like this. I don't know if he consulted the alliance, if they had a meeting, <laughs> if they looked each other in the eye and discussed those things. I would hope so, because otherwise, man, oh, that'd be tough at the the weekly board meetings. Would not want to want to no. look Kevin Warren in the eye and have those discussions. Feel bad. No, no, Matt, you're the best. <laughs> All right, buddy. So I wanted to close with uh, something that got a lot of play last week after we recorded. Brian Kelly's Southern accent had a lot of people fired up. And however you look at it, chances are you had some fun with Brian Kelly. Would have been weird if you didn't. It's not every day that the internet blesses us with a man on the wrong side of 60 clearly trying to fake a Southern accent. Won't necessarily defend that or say that he nailed it by any stretch of the imagination. But a lot of people are going to rip Kelly no matter what he does at this point. And that was a good little reminder of that. I'm guessing he punts on the fake attempts at a Southern accent moving forward, or at least not until it's workshopped. And it maybe uh, maybe a little bit more believable. As a native Midwesterner who now lives in the South, although technically Orlando, I mean, let's, let's be honest here, there's an entire bubble around Orlando to suggest that it's not really the South. But I'll admit that I occasionally slip in a y'all because I just like it better. And there's this weird thing where we in the United States pretty much only imitate Southern accents with any sort of frequency because, I don't know, there's this thing about Southern culture that uh, has a lot of appeal to us because of how unique and how inviting it can be, kind of down home, this thing. Like, you don't see Southerners going up to to the Upper Peninsula and starting to, to try and have a, a Uper accent, or you don't see him going to, to Boston and all of a sudden you see a Southerner that's like, oh, I gotta embrace this Boston accent. It's just this weird thing that we do for whatever reason. And look, any way that you look at this, that's what Brian Kelly was trying to do. He didn't talk about my family because he was trying to convince the world that he was suddenly from the South, but I'll admit sometimes like, you know, I, I think slipping in y'all and the way that I do it is a little hat tip to the people that are listening because this is mostly a southern audience. Brian Kelly is trying to win that audience. When I did that Joe Moorhead story and I got to hang with him at ICC Media Days a few years ago, I noticed that he kind of did the same thing. and He, he slipped it in pretty naturally and he was pretty good at it. But I, I, I kind of called him on it and I was like, hey, aren't you from Pittsburgh, man? Like, what's this, what's this accent that you're throwing in here every once in a while? And he's basically said, yeah, you know, I picked up a little Southern drawl since living down here and sometimes, you know, I like to use it in there. Now Moorhead, of course, was later fired after two years and famously said, you'll have to drink my Yankee ass out of here. Joe Moorhead doing things at Akron. He's going to be doing things. This is now a pro Akron podcast because he is the new head coach of the Zips. But anyways, I took that as at least he's trying. Okay, that, that, that's, that's the key thing to remember in all of this. You know in that awful season eight uh, episode of The Office where Nellie is trying to eat tacos because she wants to bond with Daryl and she's like shoveling the meat with her hands out of the taco shell and Daryl says like, Hey, at the end of the day, she's trying. I think Brian Kelly is at the very least trying. Maybe he's trying a little bit too hard and you know, some people are gonna continue to say that he's a fraud and he doesn't really belong there, whatever. But he is trying because he wants to win over the people in that great state. But it's a very tight knit state of Louisiana. And he recognizes that if he walks in and you know he kind of walks and talks like an outsider everywhere he goes, that is a more challenging path for him. 
I hope that we get more Brian Kelly accent clips. I saw Jeff Darlington had the clip of him saying family two days earlier in front of Notre Dame people and compared it to LSU. We need more of that to break down over time just to see if Kelly's accent is getting better because I bet it will in the more living rooms that he has to go in. This is somebody who's obviously been around the country, but when you're kind of you know more entrenched in that culture, yeah, it probably will come out and we'll notice a difference in the next few years. Three years from now, I hope that Kelly's Southern accent is so good that we just won't even notice it. Based on where it is right now, he's got a long way to go. We're going to do some bowl thoughts on the midweek pod. We're going to get into all these different games, going to have a lot of these way too early thoughts. Going to be so many moving pieces too with some of these bowl games with the opt-outs. So we'll try and be as current as possible with that. Maybe we'll have some transfer portal discussion. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about the coaching carousel, which just continues to spin at warp speed. If you have not, leave us a five-star review, like, subscribe, go subscribe to our newsletter, Saturday.Football. Go subscribe to College Football Uncensored and Saturday List Forever, wherever you get your podcast. Join the Facebook group. Hear your name read on air with Figuring Out or Bold and Brash. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.